this is another episode of Let's Talk In Depth, where we pull one of our amazing guests aside and really dive in deep into their journey. This month, to mark Sydney's Mardi Gras, I've sat down with Kai Schweitzer, who joined us in Gender, Sexuality and Eating Disorders in Season 1 of Butterfly Let's Talk. I am a student, master's student of sexology, a sexuality educator, a research assistant. I wear many, many hats um, here in Perth, Western Australia, um, and a person with lived experience of a bunch of mental health issues that sort of informs the work I do as well. We've come a long way from assuming that body image issues and eating disorders only affect young, wealthy, white, straight women. But there are still plenty of barriers to treatment, particularly in the LGBTIQ plus community. And for Kai, their struggle began as an early teen. I really started to notice things were going badly with my health when I was about 13 or 14 years old. Um, so I had just started going to high school and I was sent off to a private old girls school um, and that certainly wasn't a good fit for me as a person who is not a girl, um, who is trans or gender diverse. Um, and between the sort of minority stress of being uncomfortable in the, the school that I was in and a lot of it was to do with hitting the wrong puberty and um, trying to sort of control that in any way I could, um, I spent quite a number of years very unwell, um, trying to sort of self-medicate, I guess, through uh, an eating disorder to try and treat the, the puberty that was happening that was wrong and the sort of wanting to control anything I could in my life um, because of just feeling really trapped in the situation that I was in. Um, and it wasn't until I was an adult that I really actually sought some help. Um, and part of that was coming out and transitioning, and part of that was you know, psychology and support, but it was something that for me resolved pretty quickly as soon as I started getting the treatment that I needed. I don't think it will ever completely go away um, and that it's something that I will have to always manage and deal with. I certainly am much, much better now than I was when I was younger. Can you share a little bit about the interaction between your gender identity or your, your sexuality and the experience of an eating disorder? Do you feel like there was any kind of dynamic interaction between those elements of your life? Yeah, I mean, that's not the case for everybody, but for me, they were absolutely completely linked. I don't think that I would have developed an eating disorder if I wasn't trans, because for me, so much of it was this puberty is happening and it's wrong. And whether I was sort of self-aware of it or not, I was really just desperate to, to stop that from happening. And um, unfortunately, when you limit your food intake, your uh, and your assigned female at birth, your your period stops. You stop developing breasts. All the things that were causing me distress were things that I could sort of stop through really unhealthy behaviors, um, which ideally I wouldn't have needed to do, and I could have you know gotten medical care that could have done that in a much healthier and less damaging way. Yeah, that was sort of all all that I had going at the time, and it wasn't necessarily conscious, but looking back, that was very much a part of what was going on for me. And as a teenager, I guess you don't think about long-term impact or anything. You're only worried about fixing the problems that you see right now. Was this a traumatic time in your life that is something that's 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 left a mark on you? Or is this just something that you're starting to see the effects of now? High school was definitely the worst time of my life, for sure, so far. Um, hopefully the worst time of my life, my whole life through. I was really unwell for the whole time. I like many people in eating disorder, I was cold all the time, I was sick all the time, 
Um, I didn't enjoy life for years on end, and they're kind of all a blur now because I just wasn't very with it at the time. But I was so wrapped up in it that I stopped living life for many years. Um, and I do have some, you know, permanent effects. I have permanently kind of like reduced my bone density, which is a problem now that I do a lot of um, running, like ultra marathon running and whatnot, which I love doing. Um, but I do have uh, an increased like proneness to fracturing, stress fractures and things as a result, which is really frustrating. But yeah, I guess like physically there's long-term impacts that um, I wish weren't the case for sure. Um, and mentally I'm still kind of working through all of the the stuff that happened when I was younger and coming out and having to sort of figure out who I was is a complicated journey that has taken a long time. So, I mean, we like to talk about how there's still a lot of stigma around eating disorders, but as far as your development went, that stigma was probably the least of your concerns. I mean, you had so many other conflicting and competing issues all going on at once. There is absolutely like immense stigma um, around eating disorders for everybody. Um, I think it's eating disorders amongst LGBTIQA plus people are sort of my my pet peeve area of learning and research and study, um, as well as my lived experience. And unfortunately, while people who are trans and gender diverse are some of the most likely people to develop eating disorders, we're also some of the least likely people to actually get treatment. I can completely understand why, you know, there's a lot of discrimination in the medical care system and a lot of misunderstanding of how to treat someone who has those sort of like complex, multiple different needs at the same time. And the idea that like eating disorders are all only something experienced by women and no one but women tends to be, you know, if you're someone who's trying to avoid being perceived as a woman, you don't want to add that additional sort of stigma on top of it. So yeah, it's it's definitely a really challenging area and something that we're only just starting to understand now. Wow. So that stigma wasn't just something that was, you know, quite uncomfortable for you to bear. It was also, it was being amplified through um, through your gender identity. In my head, you know, eating disorders were a girl's thing and I am not a girl, so they can't, it can't be something that I have. I just am sick and I'm dealing with it and it's fine but I like I found it very difficult to accept the diagnosis label of that just because of what in my head that meant um, and obviously it's not true not all people who experience eating disorders are women in fact a larger portion of people aren't but you know that's the sort of the representation that I'd seen as a young person um, and it's exciting to see that that's slowly starting to change now and I think that would have made a difference to how early I'd reached out for help probably well we're doing what we can to change that and i think you sharing your story as openly as you are right now is certainly something that is going to be helping us along the way as well take us through the experience of looking for help for the eating disorder i think you touched on this a little bit earlier but you said you know that a lot of the medical professionals aren't well equipped to help people or at least they weren't when you were looking for help how did you get diagnosed and and then how did you look for treatment and support yeah it was a very long gap between sort of initial symptoms and getting help probably i'm gonna say seven years um of sort of just struggling in quiet um and part of that was just i hadn't told anyone that i was trans yet and i didn't 
I was worried that a psychologist would like figure it out the moment they looked at me. Um, and then, you know, someone would tell my family or it would be a whole, a lot of disclosure would happen quickly. Um, so I was wrapped up in a, a multitude of other concerns about seeing a mental health professional. Like I said, I was going to a, a, an old girl school that can, it had the the legal right to kick me out if they found out. Um, so there was a lot of hiding and making sure that no one found out. And then, yeah, once I'd finished school, then I was like, okay, I can actually seek real help now instead of trying to hide it um, from everybody. Yeah, it took me a while to find a psychologist that was respectful and helpful and understood all the different parts of me. You know, it's like sometimes you find a psychologist who can help with one thing, but they don't understand other parts of you. And then you kind of spend a lot of time teaching them instead of them helping you. Some of the people that I tried, they understood um, how to treat eating disorders, but they didn't know anything about, you know, LGBTIQA plus people and identities. Um, and because that was such a core part of why I was sick, um, I didn't get better until I found someone who could understand all of the all of the components so what helped you throughout the recovery journey and i'm assume i'm saying that as though you're in recovery but i mean this is a dynamic for me at least it's a dynamic process where i i swing one way and the other all the time but what if you did find recovery can you tell us how you found that and you know how you're going with that today because so much of my eating disorder was wrapped up in being uncomfortable with my body about things that I actually could change through healthy behaviors, taking those steps and going through a medical transition process um, was really helpful. And I did see a lot of mental health professionals who kind of told me, you know, you need to get, you need to recover from your eating disorder before you can transition. And we're not going to help you with that until you deal with this. Um, but it kind of just created this, this loop where I couldn't deal with my eating disorder until I transitioned and they wouldn't let me. So it kind of just, you know, nothing was getting better. Um, and I got very lucky that eventually I found, um, you know, a, a team of, you know, GP and psychologists and psychiatrists and everyone who was really supportive. Um, and it was amazing how quickly upon starting to feel more congruent in the body that I was living in, that it became more comfortable to kind of nourish it and care about it um, because it is really easy to sort of not care for or like look after the body you live in when it doesn't really feel permanent or like yours um, and yeah as it started to become more of like a, a home to live in for me where I was like cool this is where I'm going to be for my life it became more important to me to actually you know take better care of myself and to be more comfortable. So I'm not suggesting it's ended, but uh, it does sound like there is a happy ending to that story. Yeah, it it takes a long time. And um, having said that, like, you know, for a lot of people, their eating disorder is not related to their gender identity and their body. It's to do with, you know, the, the minority stress. So being, you know, picked on or discrimination because of your gender or sexuality. And that's certainly still a factor that I notice from time to time that when I'm experiencing a lot of discrimination and, you know, there's a lot of negative representation happening in the media about my community, I do see like a small spike that I have to kind of work to, to pull back on because um, it's not, you know, a magical cure-all. Transitioning wasn't a magical cure-all for everything that was going on for me, but it did make it a lot easier to manage. And I am definitely doing a lot better than I was. That's wonderful to hear. 
it's really nice. So nice to meet people. I mean, we we talk to lots of people who haven't found that kind of resolution yet, but uh, that's very nice to hear, Kai. Um, the thing that we're trying to do here is encourage people to talk because what we do know is that talking about these issues um, can firstly help the person who's talking and it can help anyone else who's listening as well to deal with any problems. So I guess in looking for help, you would have had to have spoken to someone about it. How did you do that? And then what kind of benefits do you get from opening up about things like this now? I am acutely aware that my community faces really high rates of eating disorders, um, but really low rates of seeking treatment. And I think part of that is really struggling to find the right health professional to help. Um, but it's also a lot of it is stigma and the people in my community are already facing lots of stigma from their existence and their identity. They don't want to add any more layers to that. And people tend to think that all trans people are inherently mentally ill because of who we are um, when really there's high rates of mental health issues because of discrimination and other factors. Um, so for me, I, I share my own personal experience to try and um, encourage more people to get the support they need. Um, and my own experience informs the sort of like research and like interest that I have in the academic side of all of this, that hopefully once we understand more about eating disorders in LGBTIQA plus people, um, we'll be able to sort of streamline the kind of treatment that people receive. Um, and that's been sort of my my fight for a couple of years now is doing lots of presentations on um, eating disorders amongst um, LGBTIQA plus people and particularly trans people to all the health professionals that will listen to me um, and all of the academics that will listen and just trying to get that understanding out there that this is a common issue that people need to uh, be prepared for in their clinical practice. And, and so any advice for young people who might be going through a similar process to you, what's the best first step to take? What we know is that treating your discomfort with your body or your dysphoria or your incongruence through disordered eating behaviors doesn't really solve the problem that you're experiencing. It doesn't tend to really reduce the distress you're feeling. Um, and particularly if it's related to puberty suppression, there are completely healthy, reversible ways to do that. Um, here in Perth, we've got the Perth Children's Hospital, which has a gender clinic that does puberty suppressant drugs that have been studied for many, many years to confirm they're safe. Um, and that is a much, much better option than self-medication through you know, um, life-changing, dangerous behaviors. Um, and getting the support and help that you need through mental health care and physical health care is a much better plan for sure. But it's okay to ask Excellent. for help, really. It is okay to ask for help. And um, we certainly encourage people to do that. Um, and it sounds to me like that's something you're encouraging people to do as well, quite a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So it's get young people and anyone who's an LGBTIQA plus person who you know, has the symptoms of an eating disorder to get help, but also encouraging the people who are the, the clinicians who treat people with eating disorders to really expand their understanding of who they are treating and how to treat people, um, because the treatment models that exist are really built around that young women group, um, and those treatments yeah. aren't always effective for um, people outside of that, you know. Um, 
teaching people that they can learn to love and accept their body works for some people. Um, but if you're a trans person whose body literally needs medical transition changing, um, then that learning to love your body as is method really just doesn't work. Um, and it has not been shown to be effective in really any study ever. So yeah, it's a, it's a process for sure. Get people to get help when they need it and also make that help more effective. Good on you, Kai. Thank you so much for being so candid with us today. Appreciate it. No worries. Thank you. And if you're looking for support with eating disorders or negative body image, the Butterfly Helpline is there seven days a week from 8am until midnight. The number to call 1-800-334673 or you can go online to butterfly.org.au and you can totally chat online if you prefer to do that. If you're experiencing concerns around your gender or sexuality, you can reach out to QLife or LGBTIQ Plus Health Australia, where you'll find services specific to your state. If you like what we're doing here with the Butterfly Let's Talk podcast and Butterfly in-depth bonus episodes, please leave us a rating or leave us a comment on Apple Podcast. We'd really appreciate that. That'd help us out greatly. And as always, if you think somebody could benefit from hearing these kind of conversations, please tell them about it. I'm Sam Iken. For more on me, go to ikenmedia.com.au. That's I-K-I-N. And until next time, thank you for your company.